usually at this point in time, we, we go about the work of introducing our speakers for the evening. And your speakers this evening, their bios can be found at theopentablekc.com because they are <laughs> the organizer and two residents of The Open Table. So we're, we're tag teaming it tonight. And, and so we're, we're really excited to uh, share this, this discussion with you all and these reflections with you all as we reflect on Holy Week together. And I get to be the one who kicks us off tonight. So again, I'm, I'm Nick Pickrell, he, him, his, I'm, I'm the organizer of The Open Table. So back in February, we held an Ash Wednesday service where we took time looking at how we are connected to the dirt, um, how everything we do, every act of justice and every act of injustice affects the whole of creation. We are interconnected, we are intertwined. You know, from dirt we've come and to dirt we shall return. So tonight, as we reflect on the events of Holy Week, we're going to continue to reflect on our connection with the dirt. So if you haven't done so already, I realize that I, I haven't invited you to do this yet, but um, in, in all, of our, um, all of our promotions for tonight, we were inviting you all to grab just a little bit of dirt and, and to have it with you for tonight's gathering. So if you haven't gotten a chance to do so, sneak away very fast, maybe grab a handful of dirt from a house plant, or maybe just run outside. I'm sure if your yard is anything like ours, we just have patchy grass everywhere. <laughs> so uh, just find a little bit of dirt and, and uh, come on back and join us. So I'm going to begin tonight with a story. It comes from Luke chapter 19, verses 28 through 44. So Rome has occupied Palestine and has crushed the Jewish people under a crippling and corrupt tax system. Um, this system actually created an economy where 1% of the population had all the wealth. So that would be the Roman officials and its surrogates, uh, also known as Jewish, uh, Jewish religious leaders. While the 99% were, were doing some subsistence living, they were barely scraping by. And in the midst of this dynamic, Jesus engaged in three years of active ministry to free the oppressed. At one point later on in his ministry, Jesus decides it's time to head to Jerusalem, which is the political, religious, economic, and social center of his day. And once he gets close, he sends some of his disciples ahead to get a donkey with not much of an explanation. Um, and upon returning, the disciples put their cloaks on that donkey and then Jesus hops on to ride into Jerusalem. The people who heard that Jesus was coming gathered around, waved palm branches as he passed by. They also laid palm branches on the ground as well as their cloaks, all the while shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna. So this is the traditional Palm Sunday story. This is the story that Christian churches all over the world share as a collective remembrance of the events that led to Jesus's death and resurrection. And we're going to reflect on what in the world this story has to do with dirt. So, um, so Jesus came into town on a donkey. Why? Why a donkey? What, what was that about? Um, the Gospel of Luke says that it was actually to fulfill a prophecy from the Hebrew scripture, uh, specifically Zechariah, which is a, a pretty interesting story uh, in and of itself. Um, but, but I think something else is going on as well. It wasn't actually all that uncommon for military leaders to process into Jerusalem. 
In fact, uh, theologians Marcus Borg and Dominic Croissant in their book, The Last Week, suggest that another procession would have probably been happening at the same time that Jesus's procession, but that one would have been led by Pilate to help put down any potential uprising. You see, the timing of this entry into Jerusalem was very interesting because it happened during the Passover season. Now, Passover is a time where the Jewish people remembered their deliverance from slavery while in Egypt. And it wasn't uncommon that Passover was a time when Jewish people rose up to be freed from the tyranny of folks like their Roman occupiers. So the timing of Jesus entering Jerusalem, as well as his mode of transportation, meant something political. While Jesus rode into town from the east, down Mount of Olives on a donkey, Pilate rode in from the west on a war horse. Jesus, by riding down from the Mount of Olives, was calling to mind in the Jewish audience all sorts of references to freedom from oppression, war, and tyranny. Everything about the way Jesus entered was both making a mockery of the military processions of Rome, uh, but it was also a declaration of a new era where war, tyranny, and oppression would be no more. Jesus was actually challenging the kingship of the Roman occupiers. Jesus was engaging in an act of civil disobedience. Jesus was blocking an interstate. Jesus was sitting at a lunch counter. Jesus was holding a press conference to highlight the injustices being perpetuated by the current administration. This ride into Jerusalem was an act of political theater and the Jewish audience knew it. It, it actually excited the Jewish audience. They shouted proclamations to God and not Caesar for bringing peace and prosperity to the land. It was the beginnings of another uprising. So as we reflect on this event from Palm Sunday, let's now turn to the dirt that hopefully we've been able to gather. If not, you can just imagine it, it's fine. I invite you to take some of the dirt. I have mine in a dish, which is why I keep holding it up. <laughs> I invite you to take some of the dirt and put it in the palm of your hand. Look at it. Feel how the dirt feels. And remember our connection to this dirt, to this land. Remember that the dirt is made up of those who have come before us, uh, that we get to then tend to and care for that dirt now. And we also remember that we too will become that dirt that nourishes those who will come after us. So I invite you just to keep on looking at the dirt as I pose a couple of reflection questions. Um, one of the things that the Jewish people shouted as they saw Jesus uh, descending into Jerusalem was Hosanna, Hosanna, which actually means to help, to save, or to rescue. These people who were living under oppression were crying out for liberation. These people walked on dirt. They laid palms and cloaks on the dirt. All the while, uh, at, at, they did this while, as a way of welcoming Jesus the liberator into Jerusalem. The other thing that was happening is that Pilate was riding in on a war horse, trampling the dirt. Soldiers were marching on that dirt, ready to put down any uprising that may occur. Jesus, after seeing how those in power were continuing to oppress the Jewish people, wept over Jerusalem and said this, if you, even you, had only known this day, what would bring you peace? But now it's hidden from your eyes. Then Jesus continues by saying, your enemies will dash you to the ground. 
Jesus saw the oppression in the faces of those laying palms and cloaks on the dirt. Jesus knew their oppression intimately as he himself was one of the oppressed. Jesus saw the ways the Roman occupiers were not going to concede their stranglehold on power and offered a rebuke that the oppressors too will become dirt. Empires rise and empires fall. From the dirt we come and to the dirt we shall return. So on this dirt, in this dirt, we find both the oppressor and the oppressed. So let us reflect on these questions of lament. I'm just gonna give you two of them to start. The first one is this, where are we seeing oppression taking place today? Where are we seeing oppression taking place today? And the second one is, in what ways have we othered other people, choosing to separate ourselves, forgetting that we too are bound to one another and to creation, that we've been forgetting that we too will return to the dirt? So those are the two questions I invite you to reflect on. And uh, I invite you actually to share either in the chat or uh, by unmuting yourself or on Facebook Live. And we'll spend a few moments here. Um, I think one way that we are seeing oppression is even by um, Georgia changing their voting laws um, and making it harder for um, BIPOC people to be voting in Georgia and then the arrest of the black um, woman. I don't remember her position in, in government, but she like it is involved with government then being arrested by simply wanting to witness the laws they were wanting to pass. Yeah, thank you for that, Maddie. That's, that's an excellent example of the powers that be not wanting to give up their stranglehold on power. I was thinking about our response to question number two, the reflection question about othering even the phrase othering or the act of othering, we kind of put that on other people. We say, I don't do that. That's something other people do. But it's very easy for us to slip into um, our silos as a, as a black man. It's easy for me to forget about the plight of my Asian brothers and sisters. And it's easy for me to get about even uh, my female identifying friends who are being oppressed and just any other group. We have to remember the intersectionality of our identities and just remember that we're all connected like Nick kind of started out saying and sharing with us that um, when one of us is hurting we're all hurting and that the headlines might be spotlighting one type of oppression today but tomorrow it might be back to my group and the one that's my uh, identity and that it, all of these systems are oppressing us just different days of the week and sometimes working together to do so so Thank you for that, Garrett. Who else? I'm seeing here in the the, the chat, like um, Marilyn O'Hearn had mentioned oppression, those who have wealth and power not sharing it, and, and also gave the Georgia voting legislation as an example. Uh, Tony also mentioned in the chat that, um, that, that there is oppression everywhere um, and is acutely aware this week of the ongoing um, conflict that's in happening in Myanmar. And uh, just, yeah, our prayers go out to that as well. Um, as Tony shared that, that uh, her seminary has graduates there working with the peaceful protests and just the violent that's being done 
to those uh, peaceful protesters as they, they are uh, being killed. I think even speaking to the othering question is um, I can so often as a white person want to other white people who don't get it and as a way to distance myself from like my own privilege or the ways that I still have yet to like, I still need to unlearn racism and things in my own life. And so it's a way to, yeah, other people for the journey that they're on is there um, versus like recognizing that stuff in myself too and calling them in as well. Maddie, I appreciate you saying that. I was just thinking like, I agree with everything that's been said. And I'm also recognizing like the othering that I do within myself of like the parts of me that feel less acceptable. And I think like, you know, white supremacy culture has led it, led me to, um, and just, yeah, the culture that, that we're immersed in here um, just leads me to, to try to be, I guess, something that isn't fully true to me to kind of fit in in a way that um is not human to anybody and so I, I think about like all the ways in which i need to um invite myself to be who i am so that i can like really fully be with um be with others too in that way you know if, if i'm not doing that work internally like i really notice it externally I've noticed othering um, when I actually attend other churches, um, not like the open table where, you know, you're seen as other and so you may not be able to participate in communion or um, you may not be able to be a godparent to somebody if you are not part of that um, that particular denomination, religion. Um, so that's where I have felt othering, um, where I feel the open table does not do othering like that. Thank you for those reflections. Um, so I have just one more reflection question for you. Um, like, like the Jewish people who laid out palms and cloaks on the dirt shouting Hosanna, God help us, how, how can we today join in the work of subverting systems? How can we join in acts of political theater, join in the work of justice, which nourishes the dirt that we hold in our palms? And I'll give you a little bit of time to reflect on that question. So how can we do the work of justice? How can we express solidarity with others experiencing oppression, which nourishes the dirt that we hold in our palms? I think um, one way is to recognize ways in which white supremacy culture divides us or seeks to divide us. And in particular, and in particular dividing um, different groups of BIPOC folk against each other and to, to work intentionally uh, to not let that happen. And knowing that that's probably a lifelong journey. For me, I would I definitely agree with Reverend Latia on that one. Um, I think it's speaking out, um, even if it if you're not part of the group that's being affected or oppressed. Um, you know, I think it speaks to me and means 
more to me when someone that's not Asian is speaking out about Asian hate crimes and things that are happening to people that look like me. Um, I think it's powerful when somebody else that's not Asian says something and says, hey, this is important. Yeah, I'm hearing a lot of talk of solidarity in, in, in what I heard from Reverend Latia and from Chi. Well, thank you for these reflections. Well, well hello, my name is Reverend Latia. I'm one of the residents at the Open Table and my pronouns are she, her, and hers. So we, Nick just took us through Palm Sunday. And so now we are at Good Friday. And I invite us to pick up your dirt if you have it. And in this moment, as you hear the poem that I'm about to recite, um, that you think of our death, your death, and the death of those who've been marginalized. And so I will read it through once, and then I will offer us some questions and I'll read it through a second time as we are thinking about the answers to those questions. And then I'll give us some space of silence. And then um, if you feel free to share what you're reflecting on out louder in the chat. So I wrote a poem called, I Question Good Friday. Today, I have a confession. I find it weird that we relive, perhaps even rehearse, the brutal killing of a brown-skinned Middle Eastern man. And I wonder who first called it good. Today, perhaps it is better to admit our obsession with needlessly ending the lives of those that society is made to fear. And then those in power contrive a reason to call their death good. Today, can we tell the truth? Jesus died because he interfered and attempted to dismantle systems of oppression. Perhaps it was the governmental and religious leaders who sanctioned Jesus's death that first called it good. Today, can we be honest? To scapegoat has been ingrained in our very being to blame Jews, Blacks, Asians, or any other marginalized group has become rote. And then we dare to quote a sacred text. I'm perplexed about how that justifies murder and makes it good. Today, it should no longer be surprising that whenever there's an uprising of the dispossessed and the poor, those in power settle the score by division, revision, or war, and we continue to ignore their schemes. And those in power blame the oppressed when we scream from the pain. And somehow this is supposed to be 
good. Today, let us admit that those in power permit the silencing of prophetic voices. And when revolutionary leaders are assassinated, many who benefit from, from the systemic oppression of others rejoice. That's why justice has procrastinated and perhaps why people are fascinated with death. Watching Jesus and others who hung on a tree take their last breath. Seeing brown and black bodies die still goes viral. And I cannot help but wonder, is that good? Today, I am a Christian. I am supposed to believe that Jesus died because he was on a mission to save my, to save our souls. Is that how those in power console the families of those who die from state-sanctioned bullet holes? Perhaps the role of the Christian and the church is to lament and not to cement the pardoning of the senseless killing of a brown-skinned Middle Eastern Jew with their blessing that by confessing Jesus into our hearts makes his death good. Today, I am a Christian because Jesus was a prophetic voice against systemic oppression. Jesus knew the way he chose to love the outcast and the poor would get him silenced. And yet Jesus did not resort to violence in an attempt to overthrow the government or for the false sense of power. Nor did Jesus acquiesce or cower to religious institutions whose main concern was preservation. I wonder if celebrating Good Friday is a form of man manipulation because Jesus's murder was not good. The state sanctioned murder of black and brown bodies is never good. So I invite us, if you have a pen or a paper, and I am assuming that the questions will also be in the chat, but to reflect on one or all of these, what stuck out to you in this poem? What emotions did it bring up in you? And is there something you question about Good Friday? And I'll read it one more time and then I'll offer just a moment of silence and if anybody wants to share some reflection. I question Good Friday. Today, I have a confession I find it weird that we relive, perhaps even rehearse, the brutal killing of a brown-skinned Middle Eastern man. I wonder who first called it good. Today, perhaps it's better to admit our obsession with needlessly ending the lives of those that society is made to fear. And then those in power contrive a reason to call their death good. Today, can we tell the truth? Jesus died because he interfered and attempted to dismantle systems of oppression. Perhaps it was the governmental and religious leaders who sanctioned Jesus's death that first called it good. Today, can we be honest? To scapegoat has been ingrained in our very being. 
to blame Jews, Blacks, Asians, or any other marginalized group has become rote. And then we dare to quote a sacred text, I'm perplexed about how that justifies murder and makes it good. Today, it should no longer be surprising that whenever there is an uprising of the dispossessed and the poor, those in power settle the score by division, revision, or war. And we continue to ignore their schemes and those in power blame the oppressed when we scream from pain. And somehow this is supposed to be good. Today, let us admit that those in power permit the silencing of prophetic voices. And when revolutionary leaders are assassinated, many who benefit from the systemic oppression of others rejoice. That's why justice has procrastinated and perhaps why people are fascinated with death. Watching Jesus and others who hung on a tree take their last breath, seeing brown and black bodies die still goes viral. And I cannot help but wonder, is that good? Today, I am a Christian. I'm supposed to believe that Jesus died because he was on a mission to save my, to save our souls. Is that how those in power console the families of those who die from state-sanctioned bullet holes? Perhaps the role of the Christian and the church is to lament and not to cement the pardoning of the senseless killing of brown-skinned Middle Eastern Jew with their blessing. That by confessing Jesus into our hearts makes his death good. Today, I am a Christian because Jesus was a prophetic voice against systemic oppression. Jesus knew the way he chose to love the outcast and the poor would get him silenced. Yet Jesus did not resort to violence in an attempt to overthrow the government or for the false sense of power, nor did Jesus acquiesce or cower to religious institutions whose main concern was preservation. I wonder if celebrating Good Friday is a form of man manipulation because Jesus's murder was not good. The state sanctioned murder of black and brown bodies is never good. Take about 30 seconds, and then you are uh, welcome to reflect on the questions, either aloud or in the chat. Abby Shake on Facebook has shared, thank you, Rev Latia, for putting into words my discomfort and tension I have felt during Holy Week. I have to confess, I've never given this much thought. Yeah, I've been um, a Christian since high school. and um, But wow, yeah, was this good? Why is it good? Um, from my perspective, the violent death of Christ was um, awful, terrible. And I, the only thing that would redeem it would be his resurrection, but that doesn't make his death good. Um, so, uh, let's see, Reverend Latia, thank you. Um, that gives me a lot of, lot to think about because I myself have never been comfortable 
you took it for granted, but never been really comfortable with it. It's like, why do you go celebrate the death of Christ on Good Friday? Why do we do that? Um, thank you. Yeah, one of the things that, that stuck out to me, Reverend Latia, was um, where you were talking about how many who benefit from the systemic oppression of others rejoice. That's why justice has procrastinated and perhaps why people are fascinated with death. Um, that line was really standing out to me. Um, you know, some of us who are on this call got to attend a decolonizing the church workshop led by uh, Erica and Brandon Rencher um, out of North Carolina. And in it, they, they talked about how really the goal for, for those who are in power in the states, which is, you know, stri straight white male, <laughs> um, that what, what often happens is there's a reluctance to give up power control um, those kinds of things. And, and our work is to do that very thing. Um, and it's just a, a, a big reminder to me that um, there's a big difference between being non versus anti. <laughs> so like non-racist versus anti-racist, because as non-racist, it's like, well, I'm not actively participating, but the, the wheels of the system keep turning and this is still the outcome. And what that means is that I am content with the power that I am given um, even though it is hurting others. Uh, so that, that's, that's what it made me think of. All right. Well, if there are no other comments, I invite us to listen to, um, a song, Ella's song by Sweet Honey in the Rock and, uh, to sing along on mute or just to let the words, um, penetrate your heart and mind in light of um, the poem as well. Um, for those who might have attended the vigil earlier um, for Stop Asian Hate that Chi Win helped organize, that was one of the songs that another leadership team, Open Table person uh, shared. Um, Cecilia shared that song with us in her speech and uh, felt very resonant for tonight as well. Um, my name is Maddie Parker, and I am the other resident at the open table. My pronouns are she, her, um, and I'm excited to close us out with um, reflecting on Easter Sunday. As Nick said, we are cramming it all in. It is a jam-packed party of Good Friday, Easter, and, uh, Palm, and Palm Sunday and all the things today. So um, we reflected on Jesus' life, particularly his last days and his act of political commentary and cha challenging us to change how we view power and authority. We've reflected on Good Friday um, and what is so good about death and a reimagining of the stories we so regularly hear this time of year and stories that we've honestly heard throughout all of 2020 and even beyond too, even beyond the deaths of COVID, um, but also state sanctioned violence. Um, stories that are so often told through the lens of white Western culture. Um, we've heard of stories of dirt and grime and the ending of the Lenten season. So where does that leave us with Jesus' story of resurrection, of new life, of hope and celebration, with all of these things in mind? And as Easter Sunday is right around the corner, I want us to look at a story from the scripture where Jesus appears with two disciples after his death. Um, so this verse comes from Luke 24, 13 through 31. 
um, which this is the contemporary English version, which I have not read. I will just, I have not read the Bible out loud in front of people and like, who knows how long, which, so this is an, ex this is, this is an experience for me. And if anyone knows my story, you're also probably laughing along. It's great. I love it. <laughs> um, so uh, as the scripture goes, that same day, two of Jesus's disciples were going to the village of Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. As they were talking and thinking about what had happened, Jesus came near and started walking along beside them. They did not know who he was. Jesus asked them, what were you talking about as you walked along? And the two of them stood there looking sad and gloomy. Then the one named Cleopas asked Jesus, are you the only person from Jerusalem who didn't know what was happening there these last few days? What do you mean? Jesus asked. And they answered, those things that happened to Jesus from Nazareth. By what he did and said, he showed that he was a powerful prophet who pleased God and all the people. Then the chief priests and our leaders had him arrested and sentenced him to die on a cross. We had hoped that he would be the start, he'd be the one to set Israel free. But it has already been three days since all of this has happened. Some women in our group surprised us. They had gone back to the tomb early in the morning, but did not find the body of Jesus. They came back saying that they had seen a vision of angels who told them that he is alive. Some men from our group went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but they didn't see Jesus either. Then Jesus asked the two disciples, why can't you understand? How can you be so slow to believe that all of the prophets said? Didn't you know that the Messiah would have to suffer before he was given his glory? Jesus then explained everything written about himself in the scriptures, beginning with the law of Moses and the book of prophets. When the two of them came near the village where they were going, Jesus seemed to be going further. They begged him, stay with us. It's already late and the sun is going down. So Jesus went into the house to stay with them. After Jesus sat down to eat, he took some bread. He blessed it and broke it. Then he gave it to them. At once they knew who he was, but he had disappeared. Um, so from this story, we see um, Jesus appearing to some of the first people after his resurrection. He's already appeared, um, he, hasn't yet, he has yet to appear to the woman, but the woman came to, the, to his tomb and he wasn't there and they encountered the angels and they don't recognize him at first though. Um, there is, they are in their everyday life, they are just walking, they are walking to another town. Um, and they're also, they even names their own, their sadness and their gloom. But in that, they're not able to see the resurrection that is right in front of them. And from this, we get to see that hope is on the move and Jesus is on the move. It is an ever-flowing, ever-moving, ever-growing light. And hope is often where we do not ex expect it, and it is never stagnant. Hope is often not closed in the shiniest of things, but in every day in the mundane. They were casually walking and talking, but couldn't see the delight in new life before them. You know, if you probably would have expected, if they had been like, Jesus was raised from the dead, they're probably expecting this, like, bright shining light and be like I'm here I'm ready and said he just casually comes up to them and is like what are you talking about and it's this everyday conversation that you can kind of hear over here maybe if you were like in a library at a coffee shop that you might hear yet it's this he has been raised from the dead and this is how he approaches it it is not this extravagant beauty that you might expect to see and not only this but it was also women and brown women who were the first to discover that Jesus wasn't at the tomb. 
he wasn't there and that he, and, and they were the first to see this new life. And I think as we reflect on the fact that we started with dirt with the Lenten season and the season of Ash Wednesday, and then we moved from um, dirt being within Palm Sunday and then dirt as in death, how else is dirt being able to be brought into new life? Um, and so often we hear in like old poems, I'm a poet myself. And so, you know, having studied poetry, how often are women compared to these like delicate flowers and these, these like light, delicate things. And maybe it's not that women are beautiful flowers and these delicate things, but perhaps um, women are compared so often these flowers because it's out of the dirt that they grow. And it is out of this, this muck and this mire that we so often see. And it's not because of this fragility or this femininity or this outward beauty, but their ability to also see new life and claim new life and delight and things. Um, and not only this, but um, Jesus also had said that you must be like a child to come to me. And children are the first ones to want to play in the dirt. They want to get dirty. And they, that's where they experience this playful curiosity. And it is in the dirt that we get to find this playfulness and this growth and this joy. Uh, so with these things in mind and with this idea of finding delight in new life and resurrection in uh, the everyday, where are you finding joy, new life, new growth and delight today in your personal life? And you can answer in the chat or out loud, either on Facebook Live or Zoom. Reverend Latia said at the vigil today. Yeah, I echo that. Maddie, I remember like learning, I probably told like so many of you <laughs> this on this call, but I remember learning like not too long ago that like the reason that like natural forest fires, you know, are so important. Um, one reason is that like pine cones don't really unlock their growing power until they're charred and burned. And so new forests can't grow without something burning down. And I just feel like the uprising this last year has been like just a holy burning um, and it's continuing to burn so that that new life can form. And that's the only way. And I just find that like, I love when, when nature begins to mirror like what we're seeing in people that are getting back to this like earth connected place, you know? Um, or given more of a voice, I guess, to express the way that they've already been living. And, um, and I think, I think I see that in the open table too, in small, but tangible ways. So love a good metaphor. Thanks, Maddie. <laughs> Thanks for sharing, Sarah. Yeah, I see we have some comments in the chat. Um, Ellen has said, um, maybe this is too obvious, but I find so much joy in life seeing my kids play in the dirt. And Marilyn has shared um, through Facebook, finding joy in time with family, friends, clients, myself, nature, God. And Johnny Baker from Facebook also echoes that nature, flowers, trees. And Emily, has shared yes the vigil gave me so gave me hope too so many people sending in to say we see you we love you in a new way as possible and cleaver saying to look around and realize love is the majority 
yeah, thanks so much, y'all. Um, and I think it's important to note in that scripture I just shared too, that it is around the table that the two disciples realized that Jesus was who he was. And it was around the table and around communion, around community, that it was then that they saw the new life in, in the delight and that um, delight and resurrection and new life aren't just solo acts, they, they act together. And I mean, how many of those that we even just shared were already communal acts? And um, with that in mind, I would love us just ask ourselves, um, where are we seeing joy, new life um, in our community um, and springing up from the dirt? I think for me, one of the ways I've been seeing it is um, I work with some youth poets in town and normally this would be competition season for Louder Than a Bomb. And then we're attempting to do it virtually, which might be a giant mess. The first one is this Thursday, so fingers crossed. But um, seeing the way all the different um, coaches and volunteers and teachers that are around it and organizing it um, come together to make this event happen for these youth poets. And we're, we're all volunteer and because we believe in poems and the stories these young people have to share. I'm seeing what people put getting vaccinated, their relief and happiness gives me so much joy. At Open Table KC, there's so much new life. Yeah. Outside gatherings in the sunshine with friends and family again. Um, thank you all for sharing, and I hope that this is not just a one-time noticing, but a um, continual exercise to find, to look to see where there's new life and delight happening all around us, because it is always happening around us, even if it's, I know there are times that it's hard to see and it's hard to name, and um, one of my favorite authors and poets, his name is Ross Gay, he often talks about um, delight not being, uh, I'm going to paraphrase this quote, but it's about delight isn't necessarily the absence of um, pain, but it is the fact that this acknowledgement that we're all going to die and holding both the joy, our mutual joy and our mutual death in the same hands. And that is and that is where delight is found. Um, and with that, I wanted to share a quote from Raske. Um, that one I butchered because I did not have it in front of me, but I, I paraphrase it often. I probably should just memorize it at this point. Um, but this is a quote from Raske. Because in trying to articulate what perhaps joy is, it has occurred to me that among other things, the trees and the mushrooms have shown me this. Joy is the most invisible, the underground union between us, you and me, which is, among other things, the great fact of our life and the lives of everyone, everyone and everything we love going away. If we sink a spoon into the fact into the duff between us, we will find it teeming. It will look like all the books ever written. It'll look like all the nerves in the body. We might call it sorrow, but we might call it union. One that, once we notice it, once we bring it into the light, might become flower and food, might be joy. And with this in mind, I um, give you a challenge for this next week. I know. Many people might have young ones and might be doing little Easter egg hunts or other things, but I want to challenge you to do a different type of Easter egg hunt or 
a combo Easter egg hunt this year. Um, as Easter approaches this coming week, perhaps instead of an Easter egg hunt, you go on a trash hunt in your neighborhood and you pick up trash you find in your neighborhood. Um, you are connected to your neighborhood, both the people you live around and the earth and the creatures that inhabit the soil you live upon and with. Um, on your trash Easter egg hunt, I would also invite you to take the dirt that you had with your in your hand tonight during this gathering and, and have a blessing over this dirt. And as you go about, scatter this dirt over your neighborhood as a blessing, as an offering to what you have gathered here tonight. And as you pick up the trash, might, you maybe might ask yourself what trash you might find on your walk. Um, and can any of this trash be repurposed or recycled? And where you find life and delight in this process? And maybe where you find grief as well. Um, and with that, we will end with a closing song before we finish up with our final announcements for this evening. And may you have delight in your life.